1: Have you found the keys to unlock your best trip? On a Trafalgar tour, you unlock more than just the world. We give you the key to let down your walls and make lifelong friends. The key to discovering hidden talents and fresh perspectives. From one-of-a-kind experiences to iconic destinations, Trafalgar gives you the keys to unlock your best self. Discover more at trafalgar.com slash unlock. That's trafalga dot slash unlock. Tour differently.
0: What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. This is the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast. I'm your host, David Williams, joined today by a special guest, Mr. Joe Mullinax, the head man over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Joe, how's it going? I'm doing all right, buddy. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm pleasantly surprised at how well this team is playing without their best player.
1: Um, Not me. I'm Mr. Call Me a Christmas, remember? This team was. You know, they're just starting to settle in a little bit. You know, I, I was the guy calling for patience for a very long time. I believe I'm due my flowers, as the kids say, <laughs> nowadays. I told you all to calm down. Things will be okay, would be okay. And uh, it turns out things are working out all right.
0: Yeah, you know, Stephen Adams has really seemed to kind of start clicking, I guess. He, starting off the season – I was expecting a lot more from him, not necessarily on the offensive end of the floor because he's not known for his offensive game. I didn't expect him to come in here and play offensively the way that JV did. And I don't think that that's what this front office was expecting from him. They moved JV to get some more shots for these other guys, but I expected a bigger impact defensively from him. And it just wasn't there in the early going, but something has clicked since Ja Morant went down and he just seems to be playing at, uh, maybe the level that we, you know, the, the Grizzlies needed him to play at. I don't know exactly what I'm looking for there, but you know, he, he's closer to kind of what I expected whenever they made the trade to get him here.
1: I think that a lot of it has to do with comfort. You know, he, he was getting used to being around the guys that he was playing with, getting used to playing alongside a wing like Dylan Brooks, who obviously is, uh, unique in this playing style. And they didn't really log many minutes together playing alongside Jaron Jackson jr is its own unique animal in a lot of different ways uh, because of how he plays defense and the way that he's so rangy on the floor. There's lots of moving pieces. We live in a society. And I, you know, you and I have talked about this before on this show, I believe uh, that that wants instant gratification, right? They want it right now. The team needs to be better. Now Steven Adams needs to be better. Now. Why is he sucking now? How come this team isn't working well now that that's not really how sports works uh, at any level. You know, I, I feel like folks are spoiled by the exception and they don't pay enough attention to the rule uh, the rule is it takes time for things to kind of fit together. And I think Steven Adams is just a, a, a player that's getting more comfortable in his surroundings. I do believe that with John Morant's defensive limitations, Steven Adams is not capable of covering for those the same way that maybe he would have been four or five years ago. And I I do think that that was part of the problem for Steven, but I think on a larger scale, it's just about comfort, you know, being around Dylan, being within their schemes, finding his footing in terms of what the role is for him on this team. And I, I have noticed a change in terms of his chemistry alongside those guys on the floor. Not that it was bad in the first place, or you know, from the start, I don't think there's a locker room issue, but you can just tell that there's greater comfort. They understand each other a little bit better on the on the basketball court. They seem to be more fluid in terms of their rotations where they think they're supposed to be, uh, and and they're playing with a with a, a confidence. You know, Stephen Adams is obviously part of that, but I think the team as a whole is confident in what they're doing and and the depth that they possess, and the results bear that out.
0: So I want to back up. Maybe I should have led with this before we got into that, but what were your expectations for Adams whenever this trade went through this summer?
1: I expected him to defend a little bit better than Jonas, which again, depending on your definition, uh, he, he has, and hasn't done to this point. He still does a lot of the same drop coverage that Jonas did, but my hope was that Steven Adams would at least be able to be on the floor and mix it up a little bit. Like you knew that Jonas Valanciunas was only going to be in drop coverage, uh, you know, Stephen Adams is a little bit more fleet of foot, or maybe they can throw some variety in there. But beyond that, my expectation of Stephen Adams was to be the fifth most important starter instead of the third. And that's exactly what's borne out. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is a very good basketball player. And I was on another podcast earlier today, and we were talking about how... You know, oftentimes when players come up in trade rumors, or, you know, it's usually me on Grizzlies Twitter uh, pissing off the universe about various trades. Sean Coleman, one of our other writers, uh, got that designation on Tuesday. Um, usually when you see that, you think it's like being disrespectful. And that is not the intent at all. Jonas Valanchunas is a very good basketball player, he's a better basketball player individually than Steven Adams. I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. And if they do, then you know, I, I would question how many of these games they've watched of these guys playing. Jonas is a better player. In terms of the collective, what the long-view goal for the franchise is, it was about getting those extra looks for Jaron. It was about getting those extra looks for Bain. The explosion of Desmond Bain does not happen if Jonas Valanciunas is here. It doesn't. And you you can't convince me that it does. Because Jonas is taking those shots. Jonas is the third offensive option. Valanchunas is the guy who on certain nights gets the most shooting opportunities. Not a Desmond Bate, not a Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, The development that you've seen on the offensive end in particular does not occur if Jonas Valanchunas is here. And that is what they wanted long-term. Jonas was not a part of the long-term solution. If he's your third best player or your second best player, and you're investing so much of your scheme and your energy and your money into him on the floor. I am not convinced that you are a team that gets beyond the first round of the playoffs. Now, if Jaron Jackson Jr. is your starting center or if Steven Adams is your center, but he only plays 24 minutes a game, which is currently what he's playing, the lowest amount since his rookie season, and you ask him all that he has to do is rebound. Uh, focus on his passing, which has been a revelation. That's been one of my favorite things about this season, is just how good of a passer Steven Adams has been. You asked him to be a hell of a screen setter, which very much like Jonas, they're both very good at that. Uh, You know, in terms of rebounding, he's one of the most elite offensive rebounders in the NBA. He's doing exactly what they've asked of him, especially in these last 10 games or so. And I wanted him to be someone who could impact the game without scoring the basketball, because I wanted Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant and Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks. Those are the guys that I wanted to get those offense possessions because those are the guys that I believe that are going to be here long-term, barring some unforeseen trade. And because of that, I think Steven Adams, while he's an inferior player to Valanciunas, is a better fit for what their vision is for Memphis moving forward.
0: So, slight rebuttal. What would you say to – the people, because I've seen, you know, this conversation about JV, anytime that you see JV having a good game, it seems like the conversation falls back to, man, I wish they hadn't got rid of JV. What would you say to the people that are saying, well, these guys could have developed even with JV on the roster? Do you feel like valentinus was a guy that could have taken a lesser role, would have been okay with taking a lesser role?
1: He hasn't done it his entire career. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't do it. But it's also not like Jonas is at the stage of his career like, say, Marcus Saul was when maybe he took a step back and he went to Toronto. Or, you know, even Mike Conley now with Utah Jazz, I think he's playing the fewest minutes that he's played in a decade or something like that. So could he have? Sure. But he's still in the prime of his career. I think he's 28, 29 years old. Why would he want to? If you could make a legitimate argument that Jonas Valanciunas was one of the best players, if not the best player, on the Memphis Grizzlies the last two years, and there's various statistics that would back that up, why would you say, okay, we're going to pay you $17 million and we want you to do less? Like, to, to me, that doesn't logically make sense. I'm looking for guys like a Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, who's on team control the next few years, thanks to that rookie contract. You know, you, It's all about how you invest your money. And I don't know that an extension of Jonas, given how the roster was set up, given how they wanted the offense to diversify and not be so dependent on one big man down in the post, you know, I I don't know that I could agree with that argument because if Jonas Valanciunas is still here, he's the one taking those shots. There's no replacement for in-game action. There's no replacement for those levels of reps taking those shots in crunch time minutes. Jonas would have gotten a majority of those looks. You know, there were times that Jonas, if the offense was frozen, if, if the offense was in the mud, it was Jonas Valanciunas that would get the ball in the post. It, it was shades of Zach Randolph, who just got his number retired by the Grizzlies, you know, a, a decade prior in some ways, you know, Jonas had a lot of Zach to his game in terms of how he played in the paint along the post, eating on the glass. You know, he, he was a lot of Zebo. So I feel like that if you want that to be your offensive style, where the ball kind of stops with Jonas and and he's the guy that you let go to work that can have success, but it's limited, the Grizzlies were looking to diversify. And I don't think that you get that same amount of diversification of the offense. If Jonas Valanciunas is still here simply because he is taking on so much of that offensive energy in terms of the attempts that he's putting up from a game to game basis,
0: okay. Yeah, I, I I'm not one that thinks. I I think that you and I are pretty well on the same page whenever it comes to that. But you know, just in the midst of conversation, I've had a few people say, "Well, why couldn't they develop him?" Or that they could develop, even with JV still being here. Another point that you made in the, you know in the midst of that, you were talking about the drop defense from Stephen Adams and JV. Do you think that that is? just the scheme that the team has put together. So, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. So Adams is adapting to that. Or do you feel like he at this point in his career is limited to this is what we have to do with him.
1: It's a combination of things, buddy. I think that you look at what Memphis likes to do schematically. I do believe Taylor Jenkins And, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, to an extent, did this. You got to remember where Taylor comes from. The drop coverage idea is, you know, the mid-range jumper, the floater. Those are some of the most inefficient shots in basketball. If you have to give up something, you're comfortable with giving up those shots. There's logic to that. But at the same time, you'll play a team like the Utah Jazz, like the Grizzlies did in the playoffs. And you have Donovan Mitchell. You have Mike Conley. You have Jordan Clarkson, some of the best mid-range to floating shot players in the NBA and your scheme goes to hell. So I think that they like that scheme primarily because of those reasons and other ones. I think that Steven Adams, like I mentioned before, he, he's not as fleet of foot as he used to be. He doesn't move as well as he once did. And I think it helps kind of conserve his energy for what they really want him to do as a screen setter, as a rebounder. I, I believe that they value his defense, but that's not the main reason he's here. And I see them liking Adams, as I mentioned before, for their sole purpose, well, not the sole purpose, for the purpose of flexibility, right? He is someone that he doesn't need to have the 30 plus minutes a night like a Jonas would need, doesn't need a bunch of offensive touches to be successful within their schemes. He can be that glass eater. He can be that screen setter. He can be that guy that does the dirty work and doesn't need to be a scorer to help the Grizzlies play winning basketball. So defensively, the drop coverage is probably more of a scheme idea. But the thing that is nice about Steven is if they have to switch, if they have to run a hedge scheme, you know, if they have to make some sort of in-game adjustment because somebody is cooking them in particular, Adams is m- more physically capable, even at this stage of his career, than Jonas would be at making those kinds of adjustments because of his experience as a defender, uh, in those sorts of uh, sets and situations.
0: So during this time with the the, I'm going to kind of shift away from that. We started off with Adams. I didn't realize that we were going to uh, to be on that so much, and that wasn't my intention. But I'm okay with it. It's good conversation. During this stretch without Ja Morant, who has impressed you the most?
1: uh that's kind of a loaded question i really like a lot of the guys and what they're doing i think you're foolish if you don't mention desmond bain and of course you know i i am a big desmond bain fan i don't know if you know that or not but i'm uh i'm I'm kind of smitten with desmond bain was not Um, he is remarkable in terms of how he has developed his game it's not like he added one tool to the toolkit right? Like he looks more explosive. That was not something that even I, as, as the president of the Desmond Bain fan club, you know, that's not something that I foresaw happening. He looks more athletic than he did last year, creating off the dribble, exploding to the rim. He, he, he moves quicker. His first step is faster. I didn't anticipate that his handle. I did anticipate. I thought that was a weakness that was overblown uh, of his coming out of TCU. I saw him, you know, I watched a decent amount of his film, Uh, Coming out of TCU and I saw his ability to create off the dribble and obviously Memphis did too. They saw the value and, and getting him opportunities to do just that in summer league and, and he's a, you know, the de facto backup point guard a majority of the time for the Grizzlies with John Morant out. I'm, I'm a big supporter of what they've done as a coaching staff to develop these players and Desmond Bain is the biggest success story of that. You know, he is by and large, the biggest steal of the 2020 NBA draft. You know, they've got him under contract, you know, team options and all of that the next two years for something like a combined $5 million or maybe a little bit more than that. That's that's almost stealing compared to the value he's giving you in terms of his product on the floor. Uh, Jaron Jackson, Jr., being back to creating off the dribble, being able to attack guys, use that momentum from perimeter uh, penetration to, to get to the basket in the post, you know, bullying Anthony Davis, bullying Andre Drummond these last few games uh, has been a sight for sore eyes. That's the guy that we saw in the bubble. That's the guy that we thought could be that number two to John Morant and be that really strong offensive weapon that no matter what you do as an opposing defense, it's a mismatch. If you put a wing on him because he's more perimeterly based, he can attack you in the post. He can body you up. He has the understanding of leverage and positioning to get to the basket in a variety of ways. If you put a traditional big on him, uh, trying to bully him a little bit because he's not the strongest rebounder. He's getting better there, but he's, that's still not a strength of his. Um, he can take you off the dribble you know, multiple times in a variety of ways. His handle has improved that much. Uh, he's only 22 years old. There's so many areas where his game still needs to grow and develop, and it will, I think. But to me, those are the two biggest ones that stand out. And again, you could talk about John Conchar, who's been an underrated contributor this entire season. He's been in the rotation almost the entire campaign. You could talk about the way that Tyus Jones has stepped up. I love watching Tyus Jones play basketball. I'm a big fan of protecting possessions. I don't like teams that can commit a bunch of turnovers, excuse me, And Tyus Jones obviously is one of the very best, if not the best assist to turnover ratio players in the entire NBA. So there's a lot of guys you could list. uh, But I I think that Bain and Jaron are probably the easiest two to point out with an honorable mention to what Tyus is doing and how impactful he's been in terms of helping that offense continue to chug along without their biggest weapon in John Moran.
0: So, you're seeing a lot of good chemistry things happen with this team since John Moran has went down and, and you know, eight out of nine, or is it nine of 10 now? i I should know that. I'm a bum. I, I
1: believe apologize. it's eight out of nine. Eight, I think out it's eight out of-
0: So what do you think this team looks like when John Morant comes back? Are we still going to see this level of chemistry? Is there going to be a, a a big wrench thrown into things because they started the season as one of the worst teams defensively in the NBA. And now through this stretch, you know, they're the best team defensively in the NBA. And obviously, if you watch the Grizzlies play, you know that defense would be the go-to thing. If you say, what is Ja Morant's weakness? Defense is it. That's what you go to is are the things that he lacks on the defensive end going to throw a huge wrench into what this team has been able to do without him.
1: I don't think so. We have to remember that Dylan Brooks missed a lot of the early games uh, of this season. So I don't have the exact number in front of me, but Dylan and Jaw haven't played together a ton this season, you know, maybe five games or so, maybe a little bit more. Uh, And obviously Dylan and Jaw have played together in the past, but in terms of this particular campaign, you know, they're, they're still kind of getting their footing back together. And I think that we underestimated Dylan Brooks's impact on that defense, you know, in terms of his energy, his effort. You know, so much of defense, especially at the NBA level is just effort and motor and, and want to, you know, on a random Wednesday night against the Portland trailblazers or on a random Saturday against the Sacramento Kings. Are you willing to give the effort necessary to be a good defender? Dylan Brooks is one of those guys that is capable and willing and able to do that on a nightly basis. And I think that that's contagious. You know, that energy is infectious and it, and it goes through the team. So, it goes beyond that, of course. Dylan is one of the biggest proponents of film watching. He reminds me of Tony Allen a lot in that way. TA would always talk about the film that he would watch of players before games. Dylan does similar things. Uh, I think that his impact on that defense was underrated. And, you know, Shaw ja will not have to defend the second best perimeter scorer now. He, he can probably hang with, you know, the the worst of the three perimeter guys in that backcourt and and be okay so that makes his life easier in that way the backcourt of Jaw and Bane and DeAnthony Melton was very small you know even with the length of Melton he's undersized i think he's 6 foot 3 you know it's either him or Bane playing the three traditional three guard or three small forward and in that particular instance you're looking at guys that are i think they're 6 foot 4 so obviously having dylan out there at six foot seven his size is able to take on bigger wings and there will be help with that as well so uh, i think that jaws poor defense because it is poor i I think that's fair to say you can acknowledge that john morant is one of the most explosive and special young offensive talents in the nba worthy of all-star selection worthy of all nba consideration and also say in the same breath that he's not good defensively right now um but his offensive impact obviously negates that to an extent and then some. Uh, to me, the, the biggest thing is going to be maintaining the effort. You know, and I think that Dylan Brooks is going to be a guy that's going to make sure that they have to maintain that effort. That's a testament to him and, and his, his tenacity, you know, the chip that he carries on his shoulder from the way that he came into the NBA. There's a lot of reasons that the defense will continue to be strong in terms of scheme, but to me, it starts with Dylan Brooks being there and being that constant force uh, that, that guys kind of aspire to in terms of giving effort on that end on a possession-by-possession possession
0: basis. Yeah, I know in the first 10 games of the season, um, I was looking at the numbers, and John Morant's offensive impact was not outweighing his uh, defensive deficiencies. He was like the the plus-minus with him on the floor offensively was not as great as the, you know, his positive impact on the offensive end was not as great as the defensive impact that he was having because he was just. I mean, I don't. I don't want to be too critical, obviously, because you know he is exceptional on the offensive end of the floor. But and you also have there. to
1: know, I I learned this firsthand. He might be listening. <laughs> right. He might yeah, be you listening know, like... he might be reading. Sorry, Jaw, <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're listening to this.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's, <laughs> I think that, you know, he's his own probably strongest critic, right? You know, he, he is aware right. that that is something that, that he needs to work on. And he's mentioned even that he wants to focus on being more disruptive on the defensive end. Correct. But th- the Grizzlies don't want him to be, and that's, you know, you don't want him to be TA on the defensive end because you want his energy to be focused on the offensive end of the floor. So you want right. him to be a serviceable defender And there's times where he has not been that he's still young. He's still improving. I think that that is something that, you know, it does come around as his career continues, but you know, early on and you know, we'll we'll see when he comes back now that things seem to be clicking a little bit more guys are getting a little more comfortable. um, You know, we may see that get much better when he comes back from this injury slash COVID. I want to shift gears from that where, you know, we are with Joe Mullenacks from Grizzly Bear Blues. This is a Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast. I, I want to have a little fun here toward the end of it, Joe. Um the, the Grizzlies have for the longest time needed a wing that can create his own shot that can go and get a bucket when they need it. And I feel like the fan base in general, and I and I think, you know, some of the riders even are still hung up on that this the wing situation is better than it's ever been i think that it's safe to say that with the guys that they have in desmond bain dylan brooks zyra williams is kind of you know he's off to a rough start but he's young he's a rookie you know there's going to be struggles there but between melton bain and brooks do you think that there's ever been a time that this wing rotation has been better for the grizzlies
1: i guess better is relative um you know, the the 2013 team that had, you know, Quincy Pondexter in that mix and Tayshaun Prince. And it kind of comes down to what you're looking for. I I think in terms of offensive talent, you might be onto something, obviously in terms of potential, all those guys that I just mentioned were older. Tayshaun Prince uh, was was closer to the end of his career than the beginning. Um, I am intrigued by what they are and what they can be. But I still think that there is a ceiling to what they are and what they can be in terms of the way that their their frame fits. You know, when, when I look at this team, I see them needing a bigger wing that can create his own shot. That, that to me is very important. And, and it needs to be an upgrade from Dylan Brooks in, in terms of his offensive potential. So when Jalen Brown is brought up as a possible guy that could be traded from Boston, that intrigues me. It does because he fits that description. He brings a similar defensive energy that Dylan does, but he's a superior offensive player. And he's so good that he's an all-star caliber talent. So if you know that John Morant is an all-star caliber talent, and you believe that Jaron, if he can maintain what he's done these last 10 games or so, he can be an all-star talent. You bring in your third all-star and now you've got your third man and you build around those three guys for the next five to seven years. And you make a run at a title or two. I, I think that that is a logical progression. If that means that you need to lose Bain and Brooks and Melton to get there, that's an interesting conversation. That's a lot. You know, you are essentially taking those guys plus a couple of draft picks, and you are saying we're going all in for this dude. Are you willing to do that? You know, more and more there are people that are not so sure. You know, and, and I think more than ever before during this rebuild folks that don't want to see a trade have more ammunition because you've seen the growth of Bain. You've seen Melton have a lot of success, both as a starter and especially as a reserve. Uh, We've seen how impactful Dylan Brooks has been to me. the, The place where people get in trouble is when they, and again, fandom is fandom and I'm not going to tell anybody how to be a fan of their team. How you emotionally invest is up to you. Uh, I am interested in getting the best version of the Memphis Grizzlies on the floor as possible. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Grayson Allen will be along for that ride, obviously, or that Jonas Valanciunas will be along for that ride. Uh, they have three first round picks in this upcoming draft, more than likely assuming the Lakers pick conveys they'll have three selections. They're not making all those selections, that's not going to happen. They're, they're going to make a trade. How big that trade is, Uh, bears watching do they try to move up in the upcoming draft do they decide to cash some of their chips in in this season they're currently i believe the fourth seed in the western conference so if they're able to maintain that which you know the schedule's about to get harder and uh, i do think there will be some adjustment time when jaw returns you know i don't anticipate them continuing this heater Uh, so as that happens and they kind of fall back down to reality a little bit they're back where everybody saw them hopefully fitting in that six, seven seed range, you know, do you cash some of those chips to make an upgrade this season? Everything that they've done historically suggests these last two and a half years or so that that's not the case. They're going to be patient. They're going to wait and kind of pick their spots. I don't think they're going to rush anything for the sake of this year, but at the same time, you know, part of the reason that this flexibility and having these assets and these young players is so nice, David, is they have the chance, if they want to, if a disgruntled star comes along, if Jalen Brown becomes disgruntled, if some other star has an issue and they have to ship them out of town, the Grizzlies can be in that conversation to either be the team that takes on that talent or to be the third team that helps facilitate a deal that can get them more along the lines of what they're looking for long-term. The end game right now is for them to get as close to the talent that is going to be on this team when Ja and Jaron hit their 25, 26, 27-year-old seasons, and now you're competing for championships. That should be the goal. By the middle of this decade, the Memphis Grizzlies should be in the conversation for the NBA Finals. That is almost certainly what Kleiman and company are aiming for at 191 Beale Street. The point of all this is that. How do you get there? Do you truly believe that Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, D'Anthony Melton, are these guys players that are going to be on that next team? If you see that fit and you believe in it, then those guys won't be a part of a trade. They've shown discipline in that regard. But, you know, as much as we've complimented Tyus Jones, does it make sense as an unrestricted free agent? If somebody's going to pay him $10 million in free agency, does it make sense for the Grizzlies to pay $10 million to a guy who, When their best player is healthy is only going to play 12 minutes or so a game. Kyle Anderson's essentially a big, you know, he's a four, he's a five. He's played only limited minutes as that traditional small forward three uh, out on the perimeter. You've got Xavier Tillman, you've got Brandon Clark, you've got Steven Adams for the next season, more than likely, unless you try to move off of him, you know, does it make sense to have uh, Kyle Anderson and make Xavier Tillman your fifth big? you know, is X, not a rotation NBA player on a good team. I think he is. So what, what do you do with an expiring Kyle Anderson? If you're able to take the two expiring contracts and you got to remember, Jarrett Culver is technically an expiring contract uh, because they didn't pick up his team option and you pair a first round pick or two with that. And it gets you somebody that you think is a part of that long-term vision. You make that trade now, or you do it, you know, in the next couple of weeks, but it, if you if you are a front office person and you're looking at this team as a title contender, is it possible that they could have that happen with the roster as currently constructed? Yeah, that's possible. Is it likely? I would have to say no because of the need for that third guy. They have the modern big and Jaron Jackson Jr., they have the superstar point guard, handle the ball 90% of the time in John Morant. They need that bigger wing that can defend and also score for himself. I'm not sure that guy is on this roster and they need to do their best to try to find him to try to take that next step here in the next couple of years.
0: Taylor Jenkins and the staff have, they've done a fantastic job. We talked about the development and, you know, the growth that we've seen from some of these guys this season the the time frame that you mentioned is still 2 to 3 years away they made the trade they moved jv got adams and bloodso and swapped some picks moved stuff around so they can move up and get zaire williams that was their guy they moved up to go and get him are are you just out on him already do you not think that in the you know in these next few years that he can develop into that guy cuz you know you're looking 69 610 he didn't play many games at Stanford, but you could see his handle there. And he's gotten, you know, prior to this injury streak that he, he's dealing with right now, he was starting to look a little more comfortable out there. He even closed a big game against the Jazz, which was surprising to me.
1: I don't think he's the third man. Uh, I'm, and, again, he's young. He's, what, 19 years old, and he didn't even really have a full college season at Stanford. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. For him, that that didn't make that a normal season, uh, you know. I I I see him as a player who his he could be a starter on that team. Could he be the starting two, and then you have a, a Jalen Brown three, you know? And I'm just using him as an example. There could be plenty of other names that that come available in the next seven months or so, uh, uh, approaching the trade stuff with uh, with the NBA draft. Um, I just am not out on him as much as it is. I think they moved up for him for an upside swing. And if they hit a home run on that upside and he is that third man, well, you know, we're talking about planning parade routes on Beale Street. I think it's much more likely that he's somebody that is a key rotation player to a starter on that next great team. If things work out the way they hope they do and they hit a double or so instead of the home run. And that would be totally acceptable because he would be a bigger wing that could in theory, create off the dribble for himself. He has the frame to be able to defend multiple positions. That versatility will benefit them. Even if he's not the man next to John Jaron, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. So, you know, we've mentioned Jalen Brown a few times. I know that you, you kind of put a trade together talking about the, the offer to get him here. What do you, what do you feel I've gotten mixed into a couple conversations and and it seems like the, the level of what you're like, the number of assets that the Grizzlies are going to have to get up to give up to get him is really like, there's a wide gap from, you know, some people are, you know, maybe not as high and other people are like, okay, you know, we're going to give up, you know, essentially everything to go and get him. I even saw uh, someone mention that they think Jaron Jackson would be the prize. He, You know, that would be the starting point in order to make a trade happen to, to get Jalen Brown to Memphis. What would you say your top dollar would be going out to get a guy like Jalen Brown?
1: Well, first off, just for the sake of clarity, in case Celtics fans catch wind of this, because they can get very angry on Twitter. You, I don't know if you know that or not, <laughs> David. Um, they can yell at you if they don't like your trade ideas. Uh, not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. Um, the Celtics; these are all hearsay rumors, right? You you catch wind of a guy that might be available, and it happens all the time in all the fan bases. What would you be willing to to part with? Um, you mentioned Jaren. To me, that's a non-starter. Like if I'm going to get this guy, I am not parting with one of the guys that's going to make it most effective. If that makes sense to me, there's mm-hmm. two. There's one untradable guy in John Morant. There's another who's maybe not untradable, but it would take a godfather, hell of a deal. And that would be Jaron Jackson Jr. So now that leaves you with the rest of the roster and and Memphis fans fall in love very hard and very fast for players. Um, None of these guys on this roster are untouchable beyond uh, jaw and Jaron. And like I said, even Jaron, you know, if, if it took Jaron to bring in, and and obviously this isn't going to happen. I'm just using it as an example. If Milwaukee was like, Oh yeah, we're interested in moving on from Giannis, but Jaron would have to be the centerpiece. You know, I'm helping Jaron pack if that makes sense. Like uh, I'm I'm not, driving
0: him to the airport. Right.
1: Exactly. And again, I'm not, that would never happen. My point is, um, you know, uh, we get very attached to these guys. I'm, I'm very fond of Desmond Bain. I love his game. I love watching him play basketball. If Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, the Anthony Melton and a first round pick netted Jalen Brown, I would seriously consider that. Now, if Boston needed more than that, then I, I don't know that I would go beyond that. To me, those are your three best wings that you're giving up for Jalen Brown. That helps Boston, in my opinion. It, it maybe it doesn't make Boston better. I don't think Boston's worse. Uh, for doing that trade. I, I think they're about the same because they're just spreading the production of Brown across three very good basketball players. Um, I, I think that the lower you go down in player quality, the higher you go up in draft picks. Like if you wanted to try to sell Boston on expiring contracts and you ship out Tyus and Kyle alongside you know Brandon Clark, for example, the, the talented but oft-injured Brandon Clark at this stage you probably need three or four first round picks. And I don't know that Boston's interested in that because Boston wants to stay good. They want to stay relevant. They don't want to waste this, this part of Jason Tatum um, who, who is a legitimate all-star caliber talent for them. Obviously Jalen Brown is too, but they're not going to trade Tatum. Tatum has an MVP ceiling where perhaps maybe Brown does not. So for me, I, I, it's hard for me to say that I wouldn't do Bain Brooks and Melton plus a first. I think I would do that. And it sounds like you're losing a lot and you are losing a lot in a lot of ways. Uh, but at the same time, you're adding a guy who should be the one that puts you over the top in terms of being a title contender. Um, you know, we, we talk about that being the end goal, you know, Brown lines up in terms of window, Uh, I think he's a couple of years older than Jaron and job, but it's not like he's 32 or anything like that. He'll fit still in nicely with John Jaron as they approach their primes. Um, I I lean towards that being my max. I would prefer not sending out all three of them. Obviously Uh, I would rather keep, you know, Dylan probably has to be part of it for money purposes. Obviously I'd prefer to keep Bain. But even if, you know, Boston came out and said, we need Bain, but I got to keep Melton, you know, at least then you've got a starting five of Job, Melton, Brown, Jaron, and Adams, and you can kind of cook a little bit. And that'd be a pretty solid defensive starting five too, when you think about it. Um, but I, I think to answer your question, the max I would do, and it makes me uncomfortable saying it, but because it's only one first round pick, I would say I'd probably go Bain, Brooks, Melton in a first to bring in Brown. Cause again, all three of those guys that I just mentioned are good. I they're not all stars. You know, we, ha- we know Jalen Brown is an all-star and you're bringing in an all-star caliber player. It, those aren't cheap. It, it costs money. It costs talent. It costs assets. And that's probably as far as I'd go. And to be honest with you, that may not be enough for Boston. And if it's not, then you politely hang up the phone and, and hold on to what you got and wait for the next opportunity to come along.
0: Yeah. You know, it's going to hurt a little bit whenever you go to make a move. And that's, you know, whether the the guy is the third guy is on the roster or not, if the, if the Grizzlies go and, you know, move forward, they're like the third guy is not on this roster. We have to go get somebody when you're going out to get that guy, you're going to give up some guys that you don't want to see leave the team. And, you know, it, it's tough to put a cap on you know, like I I feel like giving up those three guys is a little bit too much, but also I understand that getting an all-star player is going to cost you a lot. So if you don't have one of those three guys in the, in the mix, then you're adding more first round picks. And then, you know, you, you get into the trouble that the Grizzlies have had in the past of, you know, they've got a, a pretty good, you know, stockpile of assets right now, but, How many of those are you going to give up to make this trade? And you don't want to get into a position where you're struggling, you know, with with not having the picks and not having the stuff that you need to make a trade deadline move to push you over the edge.
1: Yeah, you have to walk that line. And I think that that is going to be the most fascinating thing about the Memphis Grizzlies over the next year or so is walking that line and when they decide to, to step over it. Because to me, the third guy is not on the roster. He's not here yet. And maybe they make the decision, David, to, to try to get that guy in the draft. You know, maybe Memphis has some good fortune. The Lakers continue to kind of peter out. And they have a, a late lottery pick. You know, that Lakers pick this year uh, conveys if it's in outside of the top ten. So, obviously, that's a likely scenario. But let's say, it. you know, it's number 12. And now Memphis has the number 12 pick, the number, let's say, 20 pick of their own. And then the Jazz pick is in the later parts of the first round. Maybe they pair some of those picks, move up in the lottery. Jaden Ivey falls down for whatever reason or whoever the player might be, tumbles down the draft board. And now they've got their third man via the draft. And you've still got a couple of years, obviously. And it kind of restarts the clock in some ways. But you're, you're focusing on building your star from within. I do think that Memphis has shown evidence that that's something they want to do. I I don't know that I'm fully convinced that the third man is going to be someone that's already in the NBA. You know, it it could be a draft pick. It could be a desire to bring them into the Memphis environment, have them fall in love with the city like all these other players have over the years, including Zach Randolph. uh, the great Zach Randolph, who just had his number retired. You know, he still has a heavy presence in Memphis, even though he's retired from the NBA, even though he lives, I think, a majority of his time out in California now, he still has a residence in, Los, or in Memphis. He still connects heavily to Memphis. Um, you know, players come here and they love it, but they usually come here via trade or via the draft because, you know, free agency, Memphis is not a destination that most people are picking when, you know, places like Miami and New York and, and, and uh, Oakland and, you know, maybe not Oakland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, when these places are on the table, those are usually going to beat out Memphis. Um, so I, I think that there's logic to saying that the third man's not on the roster, but that doesn't mean that they're going to do it through, you know, a Jalen Brown or a Ben Simmons, you know, I'm just throwing names out there, uh, you know, who, who inserts top 30 player here that you want to try to pursue, there's no guarantee that that's how they see themselves doing it. Maybe they're trying to move up in this draft. Maybe they're trying to even pair, you know, a D'Anthony Melton who's on a good contract, who's still relatively young as that asset, in addition to several firsts to move up into the top six or so. And they think that their third guy is higher in the lottery this coming draft. You know, it could look different than just bringing in a veteran presence. And I do think that's important to keep in mind. Uh, I am I'm a firm believer that the third guy is not on the roster. That doesn't mean that they have to do it through bringing in an established player. They could do it from within, and and you know still maintain the excitement of Jaw and Jaron and the growth of this next generation of the Grizzlies, while also maintaining patience and understanding that it takes time to build a championship constant championship contender. And that's what their end goal has always been. If you listen to what Kleiman says in his media availabilities.
0: Yeah. And you know, one, one comment that he made that makes the, the scenario that you were just discussing about, you know, getting that player via the draft, Kleiman mentioned that the path to a championship is not always linear. And so we may see this team take a step back. I, I don't think the step back is going to be like a massive drop-off where they're a lottery team, like, you know, up in the top of the lottery. But we may see this team take a step back before they go forward. And, you know, putting together these picks, the three next year, they have the the 2024 Golden State pick, um, which, you know, there's still plenty of time. There's no telling what that's going to look like. That, that thing may turn out to be crazy valuable. You know, you don't know how – Curry's probably going to age well, but how how are these guys going to be toward the end of their career? What's that team going to look like heading into that draft? So you have how many second round picks, right? Like a, they have a ton of assets that they could use to go and move up in a draft and get a guy if they really feel like you know and, and Jaden Ivey, I'm just going to use his name because he's one that you mentioned he's doing well this year. You know, if that's the guy that you feel like is going, you know, to pair well with your build. And you go and you move up, you get him. I would be okay with that. I'm, I'm fine either way. You know, if they go out and they get a, a bit, anything that ends in a championship, I'm good with. I I'm, I guess technically I have to be good with it, whatever happens. But, you know, it, I, I think a lot of times we get locked in on, they have to to go out and get somebody that's proven to push them to the next level. And Jenkins has done a great job developing talent as you can see from what this Grizzly squad is doing already so if you get a guy that's already got a higher floor than what you have right now you know what can Jenkins and the staff do with them
1: yeah development is the key right development is the key and and I think that they've proven that they're more than capable of developing these young players Uh, if that's your focus and you want to be patient then I do think that that might be the best method for building the next contender for the Memphis Grizzlies. A bunch of guys that started in Memphis, developed in Memphis, made those roots in Memphis. And in a lot of ways, it'll make it mean more when it comes. If it's a bunch of dudes that kind of built it themselves, made it their own, And when new pieces come into the fold, it's not a veteran that's coming in with different perspectives from different places. It's all guys that are connected through the Grizzlies organization and the draft. There's, there's legitimate arguments for that. If you're patient enough for it.
0: Yep. Agreed, man. I I don't really have much else. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on. Um, Was there anything else you want to touch on before you get out of here?
1: No, I think that's great. I appreciate you having me on. You guys do a great job with this show. And you know, I wish you guys continued success. And if there's ever anything else you ever need from me, just let me know. I'm happy to be on and happy to talk grizzlies with you.
0: All right, Joe. Take care. That was our good buddy Joe Mullinax from Grizzly Bear Blues. You can get Joe on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. If you want to go and find the work that he does, it's at SBNation Nation on Twitter. They are SBN Grizzlies at SBN Grizzlies. We always appreciate Joe coming on. We're actually going to have another member of the Grizzly Bear Blue Staff uh, in the next week or so. We're, we're trying to work out the details to make that happen. But we we appreciate those guys and they do a heck of a job over there. Again, you can get Joe on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. That is O E M U l-l-i-n-a-x joe mullinax joe thanks again before we get out of here we're going to tell you about our partners manscaped.com go over to manscaped.com use our promo code hoopball20 yes it is still hoopball that has not been switched yet we will make that happen as soon as it does i will let you all know but use the promo code hoopball20 get 20 percent off and free shipping on the lawnmower 4.0 fantastic trimmer i just got mine a couple of weeks ago love the led love the skin safe technology what is skin safe technology you ask skin safe technology means you're not going to get pinched in the areas that you don't want to get pinched go over Manscaped.com. they've got all of your needs for taking care of your man parts Manscaped.com promo code is hoopball20 get you 20 percent off and free shipping we appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Isaac and I will be back with a post game show following the Grizzlies matchup with the Trailblazers. You can get me on Twitter at DWILL2111. You can get the show at Ethos Grizzlies, E T H O S, Ethos Grizzlies. Isaac is at Isaac underscore rivals. We appreciate you guys listening. I said it before, I've said it a thousand times. Thanks to each and every one of you down there and listening to the show. We're going to get out of here and tell them it's time go Grizz.